The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. March is Women's History Month, and March is right around the corner. So what we're going to do on Stars of PR over the next few weeks, next few months, is talk about women who are extraordinary, and today's guest, Terry Cagnazian is pretty extraordinary herself. Welcome, Terry. Hi, Cindy. Thank you for having me. You're, you're, you're very welcome. And what we're going to do today is talk about some of the reasons why you're extraordinary. And by the end of the show, everybody will certainly know. Oh. <laughs> no, that's for certain. Terry, um, you have founded a publishing company that's very, very interesting. And, you know, you seem to be on a quest to find the most relevant relics that may have gotten lost somehow. And they all seem to originate from Poland. And it's interesting to say that you really are not Polish. Right. Um, you know, you never had the intention of coming upon these gems, right. but you sort of fell upon them. So I'm going to ask the question, what inspires you to found Aquila Polonica? And that should answer some of those questions. Okay, Cindy, thanks. Um, well, as you um, might know, I was practicing law here in Los Angeles. I specialized in motion picture finance work and burned out um, and uh, thought I wanted to be a producer, did a little of that, and then started writing. And I was researching for a novel in which I had made a character of a Polish fighter pilot in World War II because somewhere I had heard the Polish fighter pilots were super ace pilots that helped save England during the Battle of Britain. And not knowing anything more about it, I went over to the UCLA library and started researching. I started reading the Poland and World War II section. And I was reading the primary source material memoirs of the key Polish resistance leaders. And as I was reading this material, I became so moved and inspired by the incredible heroism, bravery, uh, just courage, self-sacrifice, loyalty in the face of really insurmountable odds. And I, this is a story I knew nothing about at all. Um, I had no idea what went on in Poland apart from the Holocaust, which obviously everybody is aware of. Well, no, that's exactly right. And Terry, when we had first started talking, the, the thing that really fascinated me, and I know will fascinate others, particularly those of us that thought we had known um, you know, Eastern European history of any kind, particularly the history pertaining to World War II, is you had discovered that a lot of facts have been censored. Um, a lot of facts 
really, the truth really didn't come out about a lot of these stories because governments at that time didn't want them to. Yeah, that's exactly right, Cindy. And um, one of the one of the steps. I mean, in the beginning, I was only researching for my novel, but and so uh, my husband and I had taken a trip to Poland as part of my research, and I had asked the concierge at the hotel to find me a guide and translator. This is one of the steps on my path to forming a publishing company. This lady who was in her 50s, I had emailed ahead with um, uh, questions on what I wanted to research. She had gone to the library. She came to the meeting and said to me, her first thing was, I want to thank you for this assignment. She said, I knew none of this. When I was growing up, we were taught it was the communist resistance that saved Poland from the Nazis and these uh, Polish resistance guys, the AK, were clowns. And I got goosebumps because I thought, here is somebody that doesn't know her own history because of propaganda. Really scary. It was very uh, powerful. It, well, you know, one would think that's fairly world savvy that this would only happen in a place like China. You know? Right. Um, well, or... you know, Cindy, after the war, Stalin really wanted to control Poland, and he did it in two ways. One was through physical terror. He, you know, um, arrested virtually all of these guys that had served in the resistance, tortured, killed. I mean, it was very, that's a whole other story. The other was through disinformation and propaganda, not only within Poland, but also to discredit Poles outside in the international community. And I think we see, you know, some of the lingering effects of that even today. Well, it's definitely relevant, particularly the Poles who really thought that they had known a different history. Yes. Um, or, you know, second-generation children who thought that there was a certain kind of history and, you know, then there's not. And then, of course, there's the academic controversy. of When people are studying history, you would think that in prestigious universities that the right history was being told. But then the question comes up, what's the right history? Yeah, is exactly. it the way that it was reinvented, or yeah. is there a way to uncover what really happened? And I think you come in with the, the newly discovered history. Oh. Well, that's our, our you know, one of the things that, that, that really charmed me um, about reading primary source materials. This is eyewitness stuff. This is not massaged by later, you know, later uh, agendas, if I can put it that way. These are people just reporting what they lived through, and it's kind of hard to gainsay that. I mean, they lived through it. That's what, that's what their experience was. And I think if you come to it with an objective eye, as I did not knowing anything about it, um, you come away with a different feeling than oh, if you're reading history. Or, you know, an important part history. of history that you are here to save. Well, how did you find some of the stories for the house? It, you know, you talk about the fact that you have, you know, various um, accounts right. from many people. You know, how do you how do they come to you? How do well, you get we to started? Well, let me back up a minute. Our, um, my company was founded by myself and my partner, who is in England, Stefan Muka, who I actually met over an Internet chat group when I was researching for my novel. And we had emailed back and forth for a year and a half before I met him in person, which was on that trip to Poland. We went through London, and he came up, and we had dinner. Um, and eventually, you know, as, as a result of my experience in, in his own personal background, he is half Polish, um, but his dad saw the Nazis shoot his parents, and he himself, as a 14-year-old, was dragged off to a forced labor camp, mm. thinking that his parents 
It doesn't matter. It's a long story, but anyway, no, it's a sad dad, story. Yeah, his dad uh, never had cut the ties with Poland and raised his kid, married a British woman, raised his kids British. So Stefan really knew none of his background, and after his dad died, he started doing genealogical research, which is why he was on that chat group. But between us, I had been reading books researching for my novel, and Stefan just was reading in his own personal you know, genealogical research. So between us, we, had, we were already familiar with quite a lot of the books in this area in, that, that are in English. Neither of us speak or read Polish. So our mission here is really to bring this story to the English-speaking world because there are not that many books um, on this, not that many primary source material like this on, uh, uh, in English um, um, on, on these topics. So, you know, we were familiar with a lot of the books from our own research. And uh, in addition, on that first um, trip to Poland, uh, while we were in Krakow, I just, and this is another whole synchronicity issue, I met a gentleman who turned out to be a former Secretary of State of Poland for Veterans Affairs and who himself had been a forest partisan in the AK, the Polish resistance, during the war. And it turned out he has written 26 books, not all on World War II, but a number of them on World War II in his experiences as a forest partisan and uh, in his role as Secretary of State. He, had, you know, he told me he had met President um, George Bush, the first George Bush, and Barbara Bush, and you know, knew them and whatever. So when we decided to form the publishing company, I wrote to him, and he became our first author. We've got uh, several of his books that we are translating for the first time into English. Wow. And you then he introduces other people, and, and little by little, you know, we've just accumulated. Now our, uh, we have rights to over 30 books right now, and we'll be, our first book has just been um, published a month or so, a couple of months ago. Well, yes, I was going to get to The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt. Yes, that's our... our and for those that don't know what a Messerschmitt is, why don't you tell us? Um, a Messerschmitt, of course, is one of the um, most famous German fighter bombers during World War II. And the mermaid is the, the, fight, the warrior mermaid. She brandishes sword and shield, is the um, symbol of the city of Warsaw. Right. Many people don't know that unless, of course, you've been there. And um, then you, it all kind of comes together in a special way. Now... Ruka Langer yes. is the writer right. of The Mermaid and The Messerschmitt. Ruka Langer is no longer alive, right. but you have salvaged and, you know, have published beautifully her, her account of oh, what happened during you. World War II. And the thing that's really most impressive, I think, about Ruka's story, and you know that I've read it, is I've always said to you that she was so thoroughly modern yes. in in her time, and she studied. She got her degree from the United States, which gives her an all, a, another different kind of special point of yes. view. Um, but when the world thinks about you know Polish women at that time, I think they have a different perception. They don't think of them as being educated right they don't think of them as being as working in a very glamorous position i mean she was in advertising right right, right? I mean, she was a advertising copywriter at the j walter thompson agency in warsaw i mean and this so was in 1928 29 30 around that time you you just don't think of women at that time as being somebody who Rulka really was. Right. And that's why people have to read this book, because you have to picture her, particularly women, as kind of 
having tea with you and telling her story because she's so humorous. Right. And, you know, such great visuals and really takes you back to her time. And I want to really commend you for, you know, finding this because I always think that people should have um, an accurate view of what people were really like during history. Yeah. And she really changes stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely true, Cindy. She yeah. was a very modern career woman at a time before that term was even really coined, you know. Now, we're going to have to take a commercial break, but I just want to say to our listeners that um, Mermaid, The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt is available online through Amazon, and it's also available at retail, Barnes & Noble's Borders, and Terry and I both feel very strongly about checking out your independent bookstore, too. Ask for it. See if they have it. Maybe they can order it for you. Um, and it's very available, and it's a read that is funny. You hear Mermaid and Messerschmitt, and you know it's about the war, so you might be concerned that it might be a little heavy. And I have to just say, this is not necessarily a war story. This is a woman's story. And written by such an entertaining, comical, wonderful woman that you feel that you know her and you're just having dinner with her. So I really encourage everybody to go and look for The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt, and we'll hear more about the book when we come back right after this commercial break. Okay, so stand by, Terry. Okay. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Dez Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, and we're back with Terry Kognazian, and we're talking about the history of Poland and what's accurate and what's not accurate, and Terry's quest with her publishing company, Akila Polonica, to really bring to the world the accurate part of history that tells the story of World War II in Poland and actually other times in Poland as well. And, Terry, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, no, it's, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, good. Uh-huh. Before we get more into The Mermaid and the Master Schmidt, why don't you talk about some of the critical acclaim you've received from some impressive people recently? Um, actually, um, thanks, Cindy. I did want to mention that uh, we recently had an email from Alan First, who is um, many of your readers or listeners would know, a best-selling author. He wrote The Spies of Warsaw and The Foreign Correspondent. And he said in his email, it is of The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt, it is absolutely one of the best eyewitness accounts of World War II Poland that I ever read. And um, I asked him how he found the book, and he said it was recommended to him by a friend. So hopefully that word of mouth is getting out there. Well, you know what? You, you have word of mouth. You're doing aggressive social media campaigns. And it's funny, when people want to go into a chat room about Polish literature, yeah. they're going to find it and want to... You know, want to see what everybody's talking about, but then there were more. Talk about some other um, endorsements that you've received. Um, Wanda Urbanska, who is the host and producer of a PBS TV show, Simple Living with Wanda Urbanska, says um, the narrative is so exquisitely rendered, built as it is upon a mountain of sharply observed details and trenchant insights into human nature, that I could not put it down. One of the gifts of Langer's narrative is her unsparing, truthful description of herself and others. Um, we also had um, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was um, formerly uh, a national security chairman, I believe, um, read the book and said, a, a war has many dimensions. The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt is unusual because it provides the perspective of a helpless and young bystander. And, you have uh, some, that's amazing street cred, as they say. Yeah. I mean, you should be very proud of that. Yeah, we are. And the book was also chosen by the Book of the Month Club, the History Book Club, and the Military Book Club as one of their selections. So we are very proud. As our no, I mean, book this of a new company, we're very proud of that. What, you know, once this stuff gets around, um, you're going to have something viral happen where, mm-hmm. as, all, as the old hair salon story goes, they'll tell two friends and they'll two two friends yeah, well, so far and so um, on. You know, Cindy, this book is actually um, a perfect reading group sort of book because it raises a lot of questions. Um, as a woman, she was a career woman, a mother. Her, she had two little children, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. 
she was um, functioning essentially as a single mom because her husband was in the Polish diplomatic corps and had been posted to the U.S. for over a year. And she was living with her mother. She was caught really between two generations, her young children and her older mother. Um, she ultimately became responsible for her family's welfare amidst bombs falling and you know incendiary fires. And I mean, it was an amazing, uh, it, really an amazingly traumatic time. I mean, if anyone has lived through 9/11 in New York, that was just you know a small taste, I think, of what it would be like to live in a war situation when your city is being bombed. Well, um, we talk about the fact that she is a working woman, um, you know, mother, kind of like a single mother because her husband wasn't present, so this certainly makes it a unique chronicle. Yeah. Uh, she also was a woman of privilege, and she had the means and contacts to leave. Was her experience typical, Terry? Well, no, clearly not. Um, you're right. She was obviously she came from a family of um, writers and intellectuals and statesmen. She was educated here in the United States at Vassar College, and then went back to Poland. Um, you know, I would say she was probably upper upper middle class um, and had friends in that circle. And her, so clearly that wasn't typical. But in other ways, it was typical because like the other million-plus civilians living in Warsaw, which was quite a cosmopolitan city at the time. is over a million people. Um, some called it the Paris of the East. <laughs> she was, she, like everyone else, had to stand in line. They were, they were, they were hungry. They you know, couldn't find water. There was no electricity. There was, you know, she was looking for food, scrounging for food. They were eating, if they could get it, horse meat and sometimes cabbages, and, you know, she, so she shared that civilian experience. She was not privileged in that way. No, because um, as a person that was a victim of war, you couldn't even have the money to buy you the that's bread. That's right. Money was almost irrelevant. You know, it Food was really there. a control issue, and sure, you could have bribed somebody here and there, but that was very, very dangerous, and that would be a one-time thing. Right. So she really, I mean, it was really the educational privileges that gave her the special point of view. In essence, she really was, you know, she became impoverished because of the war climate. Yes, yes. You know, so, and had to really work hard to get her kids through that. And, you know, particularly without a man around. Yes. So, um, but boy, she really knew how to do it. She... You know, even though she is not no longer living, she should go down as an extraordinary woman on Women's History Month if they wanted to find the ones that people might not know but that should be noted. Yes. <laughs> Don't you agree? Absolutely. She, um, you know, obviously I, I never met her. She passed away in 1993, but I have... Um, in order to get the rights to the book, we did um, find her family, her son and her daughter, and my husband and I flew out to meet her son, George Langer, who was eight years old in the book, now obviously in his late 70s. Um, and uh, um, it, 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 one of the things he says, he wrote an epilogue for us, one of the things he says is that he's very grateful to his mom for her um, really, her resourcefulness and ingenuity in pulling them through this, and one of the things that she was a, you, you'll see I got to know her through the book and and you will as well. her personality shines through, and you'll see she's not only intelligent 
with a good sense of humor. She's very honest about her own reactions, how her, how, you know, she thought of herself as being brave, but in fact, the first time she came under bomb, she really knew what mortal fear was, and, and it, and one time, uh, her mom, she, there was this raging fire in her block, and she, wanted to go to help save her mom, and she just couldn't force herself to go through the flames, even though a couple hours before, a friend of hers had run through the flames to help save her and her kids. So she was really honest about her own fears and how she, the shortcomings that she found in her own character. And that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that will really ca- cause a reader to stop and think. It caused me, certainly, how would I react? You know, you really are. It's absolutely true. I, you know, I believe, and I've told you this before, this is fodder for a great movie, a great (laughs) Academy Award winning movie. And, um, you know, because their movie makers know, and you were in the entertainment industry too, that World War II stories or war stories of any kind have an audience. Right. And you put the right people in the roles. Right. And this is a story that you really haven't seen before. Yeah. You know, Life is Beautiful was another story that nobody has ever seen, had ever seen before, which is the Italian Jewish experience. Yeah. yeah. And this is really, uh, you know, a thoroughly modern woman's experience in Poland. But what, my, what I would love to see in that movie is how clearly that these parts, you know, these certain parts of history were changed. Mm. Um, You know, and I'm sure that you would like to see that too. Absolutely. So um, all of these Polish, you know, all of these Polish Polish special force people and all of that kind of stuff, they would have to play a big role. Well, um, Cindy, the story of Poland in World War II, it's a huge canvas that that really... um, covers so much more. The Mermaid and the Messerschmitt covers only the first six months of the war. And it's, we started with the book because of that. We thought it's a nice opening um, into, you know, a nice beginning into kind of the experience. And it is an unusual one because it is the point of view of a civilian, not a soldier, a statesman, or a journalist. Um, and it's the point of view of a career woman and a mother. Um, but you're right. The, the the experience there were there were the armed forces abroad that fought with England. There was the um, one of our a number of our books are on a on a small a small area that is very that is very little known called the Chihochemni. These were elite special forces guys that Polish guys that were trained the army and air force guys that volunteered. They were trained in England and then parachuted back to work with the resistance. And Chiho Chimney means unseen and silent or the silent and shadowy ones. They were trained in martial arts, guerrilla warfare, sabotage, obviously intelligence. Um, there was only about 360 of them. And, you know, one of my friends, when I was explaining this to him, said, they sound like Polish ninja. And I had to laugh because they were like Delta Force guys. They were the first, like, early special forces guys. And so we have several books on that topic. That's one small topic. You have um, uh, the whole, there was a whole nother topic because Poland was the only Western ally during World War II that was invaded by two enemies, Germany from the West and the Soviet Union from the East. And so there is a whole another experience. People in Eastern Poland had to deal with Soviets and, and uh, Stalin 
rounded up a million and a half Polish civilians and deported them into Siberia, where um, really only about half survived. They were put to work in these forced labor camps up in Siberia and far for Poland. For yeah. you know, it's almost like I think of the movie Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right. Here I am, stuck yeah. in the middle of you. I mean, it's they they really always had to fight so hard for their identity. And yes. as you know, I've been to Poland and I've lived with the Poles. Oh yes, and they have you know such a deep, um, you know, deep respect for their culture, and they're yes. so poetic, and yes. you know. Every one of them has a story of, you know, trying to find their identity and, you know, doing their part in talking about the relevance of Poland and its history and the rest of the world. We've come to the end of this segment, Terry, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about the mermaid and the Messerschmitt in the next segment, but then we're going to go into some of your other publications, which we're very excited about. and. A little bit more about um, Aquila Polonica, and I think you'll have a show that's full of all of these fun facts and everything about what you're doing. So okay. stand by, we'll take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. 
Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back with Terry Tignasian, and she is the founder of Aquila Polonica, which is a fairly new publishing company and bringing really, really great materials to the world to read. Um, Terry, are you having fun on the show? I'm sorry, Cindy, I didn't catch that. I said, are you having fun on the show? Fun, absolutely. This has been a challenge and a um, really, in a way, a joy because I've met so many wonderful people. My husband and I have been to Poland five times. Um, I speak a little bit of Polish. In fact, I was joking that I've become almost an honorary Pole. Um, as you know, I'm not Polish. No one in my family is. And, and uh, to some extent, it is a little surprising that I took this job, this, this mission on in a way. But, but I really felt so strongly that it's something that, it's, it's something that needs to get out there. And for me, every step of the way, doors opened, which makes me feel that I'm meant to do this. Because if you had said to me 10 years ago you'd be doing this, I'd go, why? I have, like, no interest in this. I don't know anything about it. You know, why would I even think about it? So it's been a journey in my own life, actually, and, um, and uh, really terrific, terrific experience. Well, no, it, it really has. I'm just finishing up talking about The Mermaid and The Messerschmitt before we go on to other publications. Okay. Um, how did Rutger and her family survive the Blitz? and the occupation when so many died. You know, Cindy, I suppose any survival story has in it a large element of luck. Certainly, you know, if a bomb had fallen right on their house, they might have not made it. But given that there was a certain element of luck, she also is a very practical problem solver, um, as well as obviously someone very concerned about the welfare of her children and her mother and then her brother, um, who was... Um, who had volunteered to be in the Polish army and then came back as the Russians invaded from the east, made his way back to Warsaw. And as a teacher, he had, was a professor in the university there. He was at risk from the Nazis who rounded up all the teachers during the occupation, so she had to hide him as well. Um, she, you know, she never really fell into self-pity and depression. At least that certainly uh, is not an element of this book. She had doubts. She had fears. But she was so concerned with surviving and, and getting her family to survive that those daily problems of living took precedence. No, I, and I, well, that's what survivors ju- generally have in their personality yeah. profiles, right? Yes, I think you have to have it. So, um, you know, really, I, I think that the survival skills probably help so many people live through things that other people you know, just couldn't, and a lot of people just give up. Yeah. They want yeah. it to be over. They've yeah. had it, right? You know, yeah. it's kind of like, so you kind of give up, and you see that so much in yeah. more movies. Yeah, you're right, Cindy, and that's, you know, another, you know, another element perhaps is this inspiration that, you know, it just takes some ingenuity, some resourcefulness, some guts. You just don't give up. You know. Oh, it's true. Well, we thank you again for, you know, 
really being bullish and aggressive and finding <laughs> these wonderful stories because not only are they entertaining and educational, but we do have to, we all have duties to preserve and know history in the way that it might really have been. <laughs> yes. And you're doing everybody a public service through your publishing company, and that has to be noted. So let's um, change hats for a session. Sure. And let's talk about the Stefan Weidenfeld story. Right. That would be our next book coming out um, in March called The Ice Road, An Epic Journey from the Stalinist Labor Camps to Freedom. And I mentioned uh, this aspect of the Polish World War II uh, history, which... I knew, again, I had never even heard of, I knew nothing about this, that Stalin had deported a million and a half civilians. He'd just knock on the door in the middle of the night, you got 30 minutes, pack up your stuff. They put him in these cattle cars, you know, however many dozens of people stuffed into these cars. They sent him on the trip to Siberia, days, weeks, you know, stuck with little food, no toilet facilities. I mean, it was just, you know, brutal. Um, And you come out and you're ending up uh, in Siberia with, you know, very little resources, clothes or whatever, you know. And it is what, I mean, Siberia pretty much is what we see it is in movies and stuff. It's, 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 it's empty. It's, it's empty and cold. (laughs) You know, there's, there's always snow. I mean, every time we see Siberia, you see the freezing cold and every movie scene that I think of with Siberia, you just think, you see rusty, like rusty materials Everything's always rusty because it's always so cold. And cars, and they always are wearing their big hats, and they always have, like, you know, they're frozen. Yeah, (laughs) they are frozen. And in this case, the Poles that were deported... Now, now Stefan Weidenfeld was a 14-year-old schoolboy when the war broke out. His father was a medical doctor. His mother was a bacteriologist. Um, They were living in a little health resort just outside of Warsaw. And... um, they were put to work. They, there was the, the Russians had this saying, he who does not work does not eat. So they were working seven days a week in the logging camp. And Can Stephon, I say that America might improve if like, we use uh, the same language? <laughs> <laughs> he who does not oh, work God does not forbid. get a welfare check. Cindy, honestly, reading these stories, I really, I, I, I just feel so blessed to be born in this country, in this era. I mean, we are so lucky here. We have no idea. Um, in any event, you know, so he is off in Siberia in minus 40 degree or more weather. Uh, one of the things, Stefan, is a 14-year-old, he actually took his mother's place on the logging team. Because his mo- you know, otherwise his mother as an adult would have had to work. But he took his mother's place in one of their many jobs for weeks or months in the middle of the winter in order to get the logs from, you know, in the forest where they were felling them to the river to be able to float them down to wherever the the logging, you know, sawmills were, they had to build ice roads and they had horses on uh, pulling sleds with all of these giant, you know, whatever, 50, 100-foot logs, I don't know how big these trees are, Um, and they had to build ice roads. And Stefan is a 14, 15-year-old working all night behind the horse sledge, dribbling, they had to cut, cut um, holes in the ice, get the water out, dribble water along the sled, um, the sled tracks to keep the sleds moving. 
and they had to maintain the tracks all night long so that when the crew came back in the morning, they were still good. They maintained them 24 hours a day. And he talks about that, and he talks about his experience were freezing because, of course, they didn't have really great clothes. I mean, they brought their clothes from Poland, whatever they had. They didn't have big fur coats and stuff. And then he said at some point, he said, I started getting warm, and he realized that the ice was forming on his clothes, but he called it the igloo effect. The ice kind of gave him insulation. Oh, is that funny? Okay, so he kind of like improvised the accidental improvisation where it it turned into like a really warm house coat. Well, I don't know about how warm, but warmer, let's put it that way. And then he said, but then the problem was when his shift was over, he went into the drying room and and his things thawed out. He started freezing, of course. Well, you know what? Listen, that's some survival skill. I got to tell you now. What his, you said that his parents were, you know, pretty. I mean, his father was a doctor and his mother was a bacteriologist. So, you know, when they went there, they obvious they did not have work. Is that um, the case? Well, his father. Well, here's the other interesting thing, Cindy. Again, it's my own perhaps ignorance of history, but before I got involved in this, I hadn't realized that. For over 120 years, Poland did not exist as a country. In the 1790s, it was split up between Austria, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire at that time, Russia, who was under the Tsars, and uh, the, uh, Prussia, which, which then became Germany, unified Germany. And so until 1918, from 1790s till 1918, Poland was not a country. It was Pol- So Poles had to keep their culture alive in the home, but, but those in the German territory spoke German, went to German schools. Those in the Austrian territory, I guess, spoke German as well. But they were Austrian and the Russians, which at that point also uh, the Russian territory extended, included Warsaw. That was in part of Russia. They spoke Russian. So uh, apparently the Poles, have, they're used to living, you know, I guess, under occupation. And his dad, you'll see in a, in a couple of places in the ice road, his father talks about having been through a similar experience during the First World War, right before the First World War, where, you know, he had somehow had experience in Russia. Actually, he had been trained in a medical school in Russia, because at that point when he was growing up, that part of Poland was Russian. So he talks about, they had experience with this kind of being deported, and it's a very long history of the Poles fighting for independence from these other countries and being put down, and the... the, uh, Subversive elements being deported to Siberia. This is over the you know the last 120 years. So um, he uses his practical experience, and one of the things he his dad did when they first got to the labor camp was to say, well, you know, in Russia, every man is given here, every person is given work suitable to their skills. He said, I'm a doctor. Does that mean I will I will be acting as a doctor here? And the colonel says, oh yes. And then uh, of course a year goes by, and it's more than a year before his dad is given a position as a doctor. In the meantime, his dad has to work on the logging camp and stuff like that. So, so yes, while his parents were highly educated and very skilled people, they were not um, given jobs commensurate with their skills. Although later, his dad's medical experience does—you know—he does get jobs as doctors as they um, go on. You know, he, his dad does, is is given that experience. Well, listen, we have to end this segment. We have one more segment to go, and we certainly have a lot more questions to ask you, Terry. But thank you for giving us so much information, and I'm glad that we're getting it all in because you have a lot to talk about. So stand by. We'll hear more in just a second. 
talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard-hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard-hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back in our final segment talking about Aquila Polonica, the publishing company founded by Terry Tignazian, and we're so happy to have you on the phone, Terry. Thank you. You're such a wealth of information, and may I say and suggest that if there's any expert that should be needed anywhere, whether it's... Um, you know, CNN News or CNBC or World News Tonight, where anybody wants to take a look at what really happened from a Polish point of view or in Poland, you really are the one. You well, are the expert. Thanks, Cindy. How does that feel? That feel. I mean, I think that's great. Oh, thank you. It's it's uh, um, a little humbling, actually. It's but you're the accidental expert. Yeah, there you go. That's I mean, really okay, so that makes it a little bit more humble. I just want to finish up for the listeners. Sure. Um, how did the story end? We talk about his beginnings, you know, Stefan's beginnings. Yes, and then but we never okay, really so this is again, to where the journey know, led him. His story, uh, obviously, the story is clearly closely intertwined with with the historical events and what happened in 19 June of 1941 so Stefan and his family you know September of 1939 the war started with the German invasion on September 1 on September 17th the Russians invaded from the east Poland um, in in February of 1940 just a few months later Stalin began deporting these Polish civilians in 
June, the year later, June of 1941, Hitler turned on Stalin and invaded Russia. And at that time, and Stalin, of course, didn't at first didn't believe that his uh, erstwhile ally, Hitler, because they had entered into a treaty before, in August of 1939, before Hitler began World War II, they had entered into a treaty, so Hitler thought he wouldn't have to, you know, he wanted to make sure he wouldn't have to deal with Russia while he was um, launching the war. So he turned on Russia. Stalin, in order to, to uh, join the Allied camp, um, negotiate, had to negotiate with uh, the British at that point. The United States was not yet in the war and um, the other allies, and, the, and as part of that, um, agreed to release all the Poles that, were in his, that had been deported, whoever was left. Um, not only had he deported the Polish civilians, but in addition, of course, he had captured quite a lot of the Polish army, so there were a number of army POWs wow. um, being kept in prisoner war camps and also in these logging camps up wherever, you know, doing this forced labor up in Siberia. In the, in the gulags, these basically are the gulags that, you know, people know that name perhaps from Alexander Solzhenitsyn's oh, Gulag Archipelago. Oh, gosh. It was, um, but yet they, you know, again, Stefan survived. Well, and... so what happened when he released the Poles, then he just, okay, turned them loose, but they were on their own. They had, so here they are up in Siberia. Part of what also happened was the Polish army then was on, you know, the guys that were had been POWs. Um, they released a Polish general who'd been imprisoned uh, called um, Vladislav Anders, General Anders. And General Anders started forming an army, a Polish army. It's called the Second Polish Corps on Russian soil. So he took, not only did he take all the soldier POWs, but he took whoever could make it to an army, to the army stations, who were the, the collecting points, civilians, men, women, children. There were, you know, about a third of the deportees were children. And we have, one of the things that's important to us, Cindy, in our books is to try to make the history come alive. We include as many visuals as we can, pictures, illustrations, maps, photos, for the mermaid and the Messerschmitt, in fact, we spent over a year researching and licensing almost 150 historic photos. And in addition, we also found a historic newsreel siege that is original film footage of the siege of Warsaw, which we're offering um, as a bonus with, to buyers of the mermaid, that was nominated for an Academy Award in 1940 and um, has recently been inducted into the National Film Registry. So the other thing we've done is included what we call a historical horizon section that gives the historical context of the stories to give you some background as to what was going on in the bigger picture to this personal story. So, part so of, relevant. Yeah, so, so relevant and, and so important for people to read this. And I have to say again, when you read this, guys, it's not, this is not just, you know, history. There are stories here. That's right. There are stories and protagonists and people that everyone will relate to, like any other great story that you want to, that you have to know and you have to learn about the characters. And um, it's... Um, well, if I could say it's like a painless way both to learn history and and to almost to, to, to get in touch with your own humanity. No, exactly right. I just want to say one more time for the listeners that want to know that um, the, the books are available um, at Barnes & Noble, I mean at Amazon.com. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. 
and um, at retail at Barnes and Noble Absolutely. and um, Borders and your independent bookstore. Anything else? No, that, I mean that's where they're available. Sure, no, I mean, and if it's not in stock, they can order it because it's being distributed through the major wholesalers. Okay, around. so I mean, very very important. The Mermaid and the Messer Schmidt. Um, and, and the ice, the ice road, road will be out in March. Okay, so you should look for that as well. And um, I want to ask one more question sure. before we end, okay. end the show. And what you know, what are the lessons in terms of your your books to modern invasions, such as those experienced by Iraqis or Afghanis? You know, Cindy. <laughs> That's a really good question because the, the because these books are about people. They're written by people of their own personal experience. They are, I think, universal. It's a universal experience of what it's like to have your life be shattered, to have your whole familiar world disappear because of circumstances beyond your control. And and you know, actually, not just war. I think. Um, I think natural disasters like the earthquake in Haiti or Katrina. It's a similar experience of, of being uprooted from the familiar and then how do you deal with it? This is what I think the lesson we can take away. Here's how other people have dealt with it. In, in the ice road, one of the things that's so charming about this is it's really told through the eye of a 14-year-old, teen, you know, 14-, 15-year-old boy. And he brings with it a certain sense of adventure and humor. You know, there's some, you know, cute little, you know, cute little situations. So he's got his own and his first love. He's interested in sex. You know, there's all of this going on in addition. It's not just, you know, doom and gloom. It's human. He's got, you know, and, and Rilke Langer says that too in her, in her um, preface. You know, she said, to the average person, I think war horrors come pretty much like the pangs of childbirth. At first, in spite of apprehensions, life still goes on, almost normal, with all of its little trivialities. Then comes the pang, wild, screaming, inhuman. So she, both these books give you both sides of the picture. You know, you see the humanity, you see the humor, you see the human frailties, the, you, know, you know, the life goes on. And people are people. You know, and that hasn't changed, whether you're Iraqi or Haitian or Russian or whatever, you know. No, I think that's absolutely true. And there's not enough of these, you know, people stories from certain parts of the world. And, you know, when we do get these people stories from these parts of the world, we really want to relate to them and we really empathize with them. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, there was a story about, um, Afghanistan, um, and two little boys that were kite flyers. And I think it was called the kite flyer. I don't remember for sure, but just watching that, that movie and seeing the human experience in a war-torn country, well, you know, it, how can people not want to learn and relate to that on a human level with their hearts? Yes. So, and that we want to thank you for bringing, you know, the Polish heart to the world in an accurate manner. Oh, well, thank you, Cindy. And you have more books to come? We do. Um, as I mentioned, we have um, right now uh, in hand over 30 contracts for over 30 books. Are um, Let's see, after the Ice Road, we have 303 Squadron, 
which is yet another element. Actually, this is the element that first got me interested. It's about one of the Polish fighter squadrons that flew with the RAF during the Battle of Britain. And uh, again, it's a contemporaneous account. Um, we've got an all-new translation, and um, we will have a lot of photographs in it. That should be coming out this summer. And in the fall, we have a beautifully written novel um, about this Siberian experience. Based, uh, It's written by a young woman based on her father's and her aunt's experience. And it's, it's quite, lo- quite lovely. It's very lyrical and poetic. Um, it's told, the story is told from four points of view, the father and the aunt who are teenagers and their parents. Each of them have a voice and they alternate chapters. Um, and that, ex- you know, actually the experience, they started in... Well, we're getting... Terry? Oh, yeah, I just... We I'm have to wrap up. That's the music. Okay. So thank you so much oh, for well, joining the you. show. Thank you, Cindy. All right, you take care. All right, thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American idol. I can't sit there.